everywhere we look today, there's violence that we are surrounded by, from the policemen who were recently shot in New York City to uh, the shootings that have happened um, elsewhere, even to just being grumpier and losing your temper. And so today on Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Caggiano is going to talk about violence, the roots of violence, and some of the spiritual remedies, um, including peace, true peace, and what is the meaning of peace. So this is an important uh, topic that we're going to talk about today. So keep your radio right here on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, and on the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. The app, as always, is available at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at veritascatholic.com. And Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. St. John Paul II told young people, the church needs your youthful ideas in order to make the gospel of life penetrate the fabric of society. So, Foundations in Faith is inviting all Diocese of Bridgeport parishes to apply for parish support grants from the St. John Paul II Fund for Religious Education and Faith Formation. The St. John Paul II Fund focuses on young people and their ideas to elevate and invigorate their faith formation experience. Applications will be open from February 15 to April 1. To learn more or to apply, please visit foundationsinfaith.org. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good morning, my friend. Good morning. Morning, Excellency. Mm-hmm. So, he- heavy topic today. Yeah, but it's a topic that I think we should break open because there are more questions than answers, mm-hmm. and that's okay because we have to figure out what the answers are together. But it's, it's the topic that everyone seems to be talking about, particularly in the last year coming out of the pandemic, of how we, have, we see in every aspect of life an increase of violent behavior, violent actions, whether it is shootings, as you saw, for example, in the city in an emergency room where a person just pulls out a gun and starts shooting someone while people are just standing there desperately ill looking for a doctor or help, or to people being shoved off subway platforms. I mean, totally unbeknownst to them. And then to that very, very tragic episode in the Bronx where the three police officers, one in training, one studying to be a sergeant, one who was a police officer for just barely a year, entering his second year, answered a domestic complaint and wound up being ambushed and two of them dying. So our topic is this increase of violence in all its forms. And what, what, do, what do we do with it? How do we make sense of it? If there's any sense to be made of it, how do we respond to it as a people of faith? Right? So it's a very important topic. And as I said, we may end the podcast with more questions than answers. Mm. And that's a good thing because our listeners can be active participants in the conversation. Right? Because I'm not sure clearly what some of the answers may be. Right? So what provoked this in my mind? I was at, at my desk uh, yesterday, because we're taping on Friday. 
Mm-hmm. And I happened to stumble, because I was watching the news for the blizzard that's coming, whatever, all the rest of the storm that's supposed to be coming. And I stumbled upon CBS News, and they were showing live pictures of the body of police officer Jason Rivera being received at St. Patrick's Cathedral for his wake. And they panned Fifth Avenue, and it was both a solemn and somber and yet dignified moment to see literally thousands of police officers from more than just New York City quietly, valiantly, silently paying tribute to a 22-year-old man who is married only three months, who is ambushed in a reckless, senseless act of violence by a 47-year-old man who was arguing with his mother and didn't even take the time to recognize who was in front of him when he was shooting his gun off. And he himself was immobilized by the fire and eventually died himself. He himself became a victim. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, and of course this is tragic, and the fact that uh, Officer Rivera's partner, Wilbert Mora, an older man, studying to be a sergeant in the same ambush, desperately was clinging to his life, and then he lost his life too. So two innocent guardians of law and order, of peace, died. And I think to myself, what in the name of goodness have we come to? What point have we degenerated to? You consider last year, 510 children, children, were the victims of gun violence. Mm. Consider that a young man, a college graduate, so he had all of the, of the presumably opportunity to have an education, to, have, to find a place in society where you could be productive and fruitful, and smuggles over 70 illegal guns in the, in the, in the trunk of his car. All of them with high-powered uh, uh, um, uh, canisters for sheer profit, totally oblivious to what would possibly happen to innocent victims of the use of those guns. I mean, we could go on and on and on. People being thrown in front of subway cars, but, what, but, but, but who does that? Who does that? Well, obviously people do. And I'm not the only one. You may disagree, some of our listeners may disagree, but, but my sense is coming out of COVID now in the second year of the pandemic, it seems that people are reacting in a much more adversarial, a much more combative, confrontational, and in this sense, in some cases, a more violent response than in the early days of the pandemic when we were saying, well, we're going to do this together, we're going to stand with each other, and there's this sense of unity. And So my question is, what's powering this? And where do we go from here? And I say it not as a citizen of the country, per se. I say it as a successor of the apostles. This is a a demand, a mandate of our faith to respond to the circumstances of our lives and to give witness and answer to that which we encounter. And so the question I ask for everybody on this podcast is, as people of faith, women and men of faith, how do we respond to this? What do we tell the world? Mm Mm-hmm. So let's start with a seminal, let's start with a seminal insight. 
at the root of our salvation was an act of capital punishment, right? Was an act of violence, right? Beating, torture, and the taking of the life of the Lord Jesus, which he willingly allowed because he could easily have stopped it. So he freely willed to give his life over, but he was the victim of brutality and violence, right? Uh, you've seen Mel Gibson's film, right? Yes. Yes. And he depicts the Lord's suffering, my gosh, in such a brutal way. But quite frankly, is not all that far off from what happened, right? Because there was almost, in Roman circles, there was almost a delight among some to inflict just violence and gratuitous violence because there was the fear factor that people would cower before it, fearing that they would be the victim of it. And so it was an it was a, an important piece of the arsenal that kept the Roman Empire in check. It was sheer, wanton, reckless, um, senseless, brutal violence. But if we claim to be a civil society, which is an interesting claim, <laughs> one could ask the question, then why, why is all of this going on? This is the second seminal insight, and that is particularly in our country, because we're only speaking about our experience, and I can only speak of the experience of this tri-state area, which is where most of my life has been lived, you know, New York and Connecticut, basically. So I'm totally ignorant firsthand of how the rest of the country's either experiencing it, I, I mean, I could see it on the news, but and how they're reacting to it. But violence has been a part of our nation's history from the beginning. The fact that um, the the um, I remember when I was young and how we glorified cowboys when I was a little boy, right? And you did too. I'm sure yes. a lot of kids did, yeah. and you romanticized it. But at the root of that, they were, they had guns in their hands, <laughs> right? right? And as a little boy, you don't really allude to it. But I mean, they didn't use those guns for decoration. <laughs> Right? And we spoke of the wild, wild west. And again, it's romanticized. Bonanza, remember that? Oh, you're too young. But for those who are so old, the Bonanza, the TV show, and everything was so wonderful. It, yeah, but the wild, wild west was wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? And sometimes the law was whoever had the biggest gun. And that's kind of somewhat in the psyche of the United States. Right? But the truth is, I think there are other deeper spiritual roots. So let's talk about the pandemic. When you find yourself in a situation that is outside of your control, that is inflicting suffering or deprivation or is constricting you in some way, you have one of two options. You either surrender to that which you cannot change and ask in grace for the patience and the mercy and the understanding to draw some good out of it, or the opposite is you rebel against it. And I think there has always been a violent streak in our country, but the pandemic has augmented that because there is this sense of, of rebellion against what the pandemic has created. There's this sense of I'm striking out because I don't want to be constricted. I want to, won't be confined. I don't want people 
it leads to a, a seething anger that for some who are either mentally ill or are despairing or are just evil, they're choosing to do evil, respond in violent ways around the, the people around them. So part of this is a consequence of the pandemic. It's like turn the heat up right, on the impulse that some people have to respond in a violent way, in a hurtful way to the people around them. And therefore, in some sense, there's a spiritual element, there's a psychological element. One of the questions I ask myself is, how are we providing the psychological help for people who find themselves being tempted to do harm to themselves or to others because of the impotency they feel of the, of, of the, of the, the, the desire to just rage against what is happening around them? Does that make sense? Yes. Yep. So I think that's something we have to look at. But then there's a deeper spiritual issue. And, and this, some of the listeners to our podcast may very much disagree. And I welcome the critique and the dialogue. But quite frankly, if the philosophy of the modern world is, my life is all about me, then there are some who will not stop at anything to make sure they get what they want when they want it, okay? An act of violence is an act of power. It's an imposition of power over someone. Whether that violence is physical or whether that violence is emotional or whether that violence is verbal, you are asserting yourself upon someone else in a hurtful or sinful way. So it is an act of power. Now the question is, what's the origin of the power? What's the wellspring of that power? Well, if it's you, if, I, if it's me, then I'm gonna use every uh, means at my disposal to assert me. Now to the average person, thanks be to God, it, it's not a violent thing. But for some, it gets to the point because they don't have the filter, they don't have the maturity, they don't have the psychological balance, that they go beyond what we would normally consider to be appropriate and they assert themselves in hurtful ways, violent ways, even murderous ways. Yeah. But part of it is because it's me that I'm asserting. Now let me, forgive me, let me be really frank. What am I before God? What are my desires? What meaning do they have before God? What I want of my life, what I assert of myself. Who in the name of goodness do we think we are in the end? Really? Anything of lasting value in Frank Caggiano's life is grace in me. It's because the blood of Christ has redeemed me. Because if there was no Christ and no blood, there would be no redeeming value for anything Frank Kedjano could ever do, say, think, or whatever else it may be. So in the end, what is this about me that we cling to and we continue to cling to? Right? There is an appropriate place for me in my world, but never to the point where it reverts to the exercise of dominance and power over someone else and provides them or hurts them or maligns them or could even do worse violence upon them. There is no 
sense of redemption to that, right? Now, some people would argue, well, Bishop, but what about the just war theory? And what about when you have to exercise violence because of a just cause? That is not, that's a totally separate question. Because there may be times when there is no other possibility but to revert to combat for the greater good. All right? We just had the, the day to remember the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Right? To free God's chosen people who were literally enslaved and being murdered by the millions, it demanded combat for the just cause. But that's after discernment and clarity of what needs to be done, right, for the greater good. But in the individual lives that we live as a society, for people to be violent amongst each other, okay, is an exercise of power that is just simply sinful, period. And to some extent, what deeply worries me is that it's become so much a normal way of life that we're almost becoming insensitive to it, that it almost doesn't provoke the same emotional passion to say this should not be. Now, am I exaggerating with that? Is that just me, Steve? No, I think, no, I agree with that totally. And, um... Yeah, there's there's a desensitization that has occurred in society and individuals towards violence, which I guess partially explains why it's become so much more prevalent all over the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm I at my age, at my age, it's funny the the thoughts that cross my mind now that didn't cross my mind even five years ago, and I'm not sure why. And, you know, I joke with people around, you know, people say, I say, I, I'll, I'll, like with my barber, I went to get my hair cut, the 10 minute special, right? Since <laughs> I always cut it really short. So then, since so usually he has half hour slots, so we do 10 minutes of cutting and like 15 minutes of, of you know, of conversation, <laughs> catching up on the gossip, all this stuff. And, um, and I joke with him. He's five years older than I am. I said, well, you know, I'm two thirds dead. Right, because I'll be 63 if I live to 100. I'm two thirds dead. Right, in Italian, I won't tell you what he says back because I can't repeat it on the podcast. And then he says, I'm five years older than you. I said, Well, then you're three quarters dead. What can I tell you? <laughs> but we joke about it. But, but, but there is a reflection, right? That m- more of my life is past than is ahead of me. More is behind me. My human life, more is behind me than ahead of me. So it's a different perspective. And everybody gets that point in a different way. But then I look into the faces of Gina and Caesar, who are my great niece and great nephew, the seven and five. And I keep asking myself, what will the world look like when they're 63? If we keep moving in this direction. Yeah. It goes back, though, Excellency, all the way to the, the beginning and the fall. I mean, Cain killing his brother Abel, worrying about violence Amen. to himself when he's expelled. Amen. Yeah. And why, and why did that happen? Why did those two brothers, why did one kill the other? Jealousy. What was the root cause of that? Was exactly. it jealousy? Exactly. Right. And, and the root of the jealousy was that somehow what you have belongs to me. Once again, it's the two, wo- the two letters, me, M-E, about me. <laughs> right? And, it, and it's the breeding of violence. So are we surprised 
the violence is growing where everywhere we turn in subtle ways, all of our, we're always being told, you know, it's, it's you, it's your place. It's, it's what you want. It's, it's, you're the one that matters and go do it. Go do what? (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's interesting because I'm, I'm generation X, I'm gen X and we are called the me generation. And it was when I was younger that John Paul II talked so much about the culture of death to us, the me generation. Isn't that interesting? No, isn't that interesting? And of course, there are people who are going to say, and I think they have, and and they are correct, that in a world, in a society where unborn life is not valued, then there's no surprise that born life is not valued either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if there's violence against the one, then there's violence against the other as well. Violence becomes the normal fabric of life. But any society that, that, that standardizes, regularizes, becomes comfortable with violence is signing the recipe for its own destruction. It will literally fall apart. Yeah. Right? So in the end, I'm glad you mentioned that because and you can see it all throughout with the sacred scriptures. Right? The interesting thing is, even when Jesus was being arrested, remember, what, was, what happened? The sword was taken out of the sheet and... Yes, cut off the, uh, the, the servant's ear. The reaction is, right, because it, in a sense, part of it is, what's going to happen to us, to me, to this? I've invested my life in what's going on here. Yeah, and then Jesus <laughs> healed him and told Peter, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. That's a great way to summarize what's the challenge before us in the modern world. Right? Now we have to talk about what's the spiritual remedy. What, what do we do as people of faith? So what's the word that we speak to the world that can give the world hope that this is not our fate and our destiny? Right? It's not our fate that our kids are going to die in the streets because of gun violence or anyone else for that matter, that people go on subways are going to have to keep looking over their shoulder because they never know when someone's going to push them to their death. Yeah. It's, or police officers are going to have to always fear for their lives at every turn simply because they're doing what society has asked them to do, right? yeah. which is to, is, is to allow us to live in order and peace. So maybe after we come back from the break, we could talk about the spiritual, what are, what are the, the spiritual components toward the solution? Right? Yeah, yeah, because as, as St. Paul wrote, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So mm-hmm. as you're mm-hmm. saying, we know that there is hope and a solution. Right. Okay. Okay, so uh, on that note, let's take a break, Excellency. And um, you're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We will be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that 
they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network with Bishop Frank Caggiano. So we're, t- we're talking today about uh, violence. Uh, you see it everywhere um, on the news. Uh, we just, as uh, Excellency, as you just pointed out, we had the March for Life for the Unborn. We had uh, the Day of Remembrance for the uh, victims of the, uh, the Holocaust. And we were talking a little bit before we ended um, about some of the root causes of violence and how it goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. But you, you, there's a lot out there today, Excellency, um, including... I mean, movies are so much more violent. Some of it is cartoonized and stylized, but a lot of it, a lot of it is, is graphic. And video games are more violent. I don't know, Ex- Excellency, do you, do you see these as, as another cause or are they a symptom or how do you, how do you look at this kind of stuff? Yeah, it's, that's, a very, that's a great question. And I'm not exactly sure I know the full answer, but this much I do know. If you look into the world of addiction to pornography, what you find is that when a person becomes addicted to what I'm going to call mainstream pornography, sooner or later, the mainstream pornography doesn't elicit the same reaction of excitement. Mm -hmm. And so it has to become more extreme to elicit the same reaction. It's no different than one is addicted to alcohol. When you began, two drinks would give you the high. And if you drink constantly, it's four drinks or six drinks that produce the same high. Because your body becomes desensitized, literally, physiologically. I think the same thing is true in violence. The more we see it, the more we're exposed to it, the more graphic it needs to be, the more extreme it needs to be in order to elicit a response. So in movies, they're becoming progressively more violent in part because there is a comfortability with a certain level of violence that's got to be pushed further. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Darn, our our stupid human nature. (laughs) Yeah, but also, but sin, it's sin. It's Mm -hmm. the father of evil at work here. Yes. Let's not, let's not, uh, when, when all is said and done, we're talking about the spiritual remedy. The first part of this is to recognize this is a deliberate act of evil. You don't stumble into this. Right. You become pawns of a larger game. Because if, the, if eternal life is the fullness of peace, which we'll get to in a second, then violence is its antithesis. That is the work of evil. 
right? That there would be no peace, that there is no contentment, that there is no rest, but that there's a restlessness that leads to the desire of dominance, which would then inflict harm and evil and violence on others. And you have to do more of it and more of it and more of it in this crazy idea that that's gonna give you peace. What peace? That will give you nothing except the, the, the father of evil taking you, chewing you up and spitting you out <laughs> yeah. when he's done yep. with it. Yep, right? you just end up so descending deeper. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And, and when you think of the exposure of our young children to violence, not just on television and, 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 and um, at movies, which please God parents don't show them, or online, which some of these kids are smarter than their parents to get access to whatever they want. But how about the video games? Some of them are absurd. God forgive me, but I stumbled on one about a year ago and I couldn't believe, first I couldn't believe the graphics were so real. It yeah. Was, but, but it's a game. I honestly thought it was a movie. And because I've never played one. I, 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 and I'm proud to admit it. I've never played a video game, but I have no idea how to do it. Nor do I want to, to be honest. But, but, but when I saw I couldn't believe it. And, and the blood and the shoot. I think to myself, but who would... But, but, but what redeeming values in that? Maybe, I don't know. Because if you have little children watching this, then when they get to be my age, what is going to be the threshold of sensitivity then? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Anyway, so we, we want to talk about spiritual remedy. Otherwise, I'm going to work myself up into it. I'm going to start perspiring. Right? So the first is, is what I said. Let's call it for what it is. This is the movement of evil in our midst. For anything that breaks the peace and harmony that God wills for us, then that is a work of evil. And that evil is an invitation to make sinful choices in my own life. And there's an evil that permeates the larger, uh, I'm going to call it culture, environment, society around us, right? That we may not have full control over. So I myself may choose not to enter into this attitude or action of violence in any form, whether it's verbal or physical or emotional, the opposite of a man of violence is a man of peace. A woman of violence, the opposite is a woman of peace. True peace, right? So I'm gonna break open just one second. But that's my choice, but that does my choice can immediately affect the larger world that we just described. However, this is a battle to be fought by more than one. So for example, Mahatma Gandhi, a nonviolent response, right, to what he saw as an injustice. He began alone, and then eventually millions followed him. And then you begin to see change. So in the end, the very first part of the remedy is the appropriation by every individual of the commitment to leave violence behind and to become a person of peace. And that is predicated on a more basic decision that my life is not about me. 
that the sum total of my joy, my happiness, my contentment is not always the recognition and the realization of what I want and what I desire. Because God rightly can say no. And it is not for us to debate with him because he loves us more than we love ourselves. So in the end, if we as individuals of faith, we want to become agents of change in the world, to fight back against, literally fight back, quote unquote, against all of this violence and hurt, then it begins on the cross. It's the same self-surrender that the master did to the will of his father. So we do the same. And in standing before God in the surrender of ourselves to him, so my life, Lord, is about you, not me, that becomes the foundation upon which we can stand to address not only violence in our midst, but just about every other social ill in our midst. That's how we can start to construct a new society as a portion of our society is deconstructing because of what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I mean, if you start with, it sounds like you're saying start with humility, which is not just mm -hmm. putting yourself down. It is understanding your relationship to others and to God. And so mm -hmm. putting yourself in the right place. And then in the past, we've talked about meekness too, which is not relinquishing your strength, but channeling your strength towards the proper um, goal and aims. I mean, right. It's just, if, if we're not so self-centered, <laughs> mm -hmm. we understand who we are. Our but let me, let me ask you something. Excuse me for interrupting you. Let me ask you something. How do you know when a person has false humility? What does it look like? False humility? And there's lots of, most, most believers at one time or another fall into false humility. Yes. What does it look like? I think, uh, I think one sign of that might be um, even not being able to take a compliment. Yes. Yeah, of course. Uh, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. what's, uh, what's the dynamic in a false humility? A true humility is... Uh, uh, standing in the truth that I'm not the center of life. A false humility it's still, uses it's still the trappings. Yeah. Right. Right. It still uh, it still puts yourself in the in the center of the attention, so to speak. But you know, instead of saying "Look at how great I am," it's putting yourself in the attention by saying, "Oh, look at look at how you know small I am," but to a in a showy way. I don't know if I'm. Yeah. It, it's all the trappings and no substance. You say all the right things, you, you look all the right ways, you kind of give the appearance when in fact the pride is still there. And you're using all the trappings in a prideful way to get ahead. That's all humility. Mm, yeah. All right? So it looks like it, smells like it, tastes like it, but when you eat it, it's indigestion. It gives you indigestion because <laughs> it's not true. Right. So in the end, what makes humility true is the surrender I'm talking about. Let's go back to the beginning of the Bible. Why did Adam and Eve fall? What was their sin? They pride. wanted to be like God, yes. Pride. And pride is the, is the false assertion of self 
before God. So in the end, I would agree with you to a point that it's humility, but actually the foundation of humility is this fundamental stance that many people have lost before God. Hmm. And therefore, it is not a mistake or coincidence that we're becoming more and more violent because in the end, the only common foundation we have is not us. It's not our common humanity. It's not even our shared nature. It's God. <laughs> so if we all surrender to, to God, that's the beginning of the foundation of lasting peace in our hearts, in our families, and throughout society. Right. Okay, so, so then how do we do that? How do we surrender to God in that way, Excellency? Mm -hmm. See, I believe that in the end, for all organized religion, that is ultimately one of the main impulses is to find right relationship with God. And it's done in different ways. For Christians, we believe we have the fullness of revelation and the fullness of truth because we believe Christ is God who's taken on a human life, right? The Word made flesh. And therefore, for us, <coughs> it rises and falls <coughs> in the mystery of the Lord's death and resurrection. No student is greater than his teacher. And therefore, if that's the case, the Lord lived a life where he surrendered everything to his father. And that is why at Mass, we come back to Calvary every single time we go to Mass. We don't go back to Bethlehem. We don't go back to Mount Tabor. We don't go back to Cana. We go back to Calvary. Why? Because that is the fundamental place of salvation. Surrender to God's will, then God, then, then the space is created for God's grace then to do what is necessary, right? To lift us up correctly. And therefore in that surrender, if you and I stand before the cross and surrender to him as he surrendered to his father in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we receive space for the gifts of the Holy Spirit and for the spiritual tools that can then take us into our life, our families, and our world and sow the seeds of true peace, which is the antidote to violence. Hmm. Yeah. And peace is the fullness of life, not the absence of violence. It's the fullness of life. That's what this world doesn't understand. Because it looks at, at, at what's going on and says, okay, if we answer this desire or this need or, 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 or this impulse, then somehow we'll have peace. But no, we won't. We'll have the absence of violence. We will not have peace. Peace is the fullness of life. That's what shalom means. It's the fullness of life. And so when we stand before God, the, that which God wants for us is to share his life, which is the fullness of life. That's what you build peace on. Yeah. That's what it is. And it has precious little to do with material, with material possessions, although it could involve it. It has precious little to do with what I want or what I want to look like. What, blah, blah, blah. We're talking about stuff far more important. <laughs> so 
I wrote down two words as you were talking, Excellency, and I wonder if these are on target or not really related. Uh, but I wrote down mortification and mm-hmm. silence. Excellent. Because those are the, and there are others, prayer, those are the spiritual practices that keeps the surrender real and the humility from becoming false. In the end. Why do we have Lent? We have Lent because we all sinned. And in the purification that goes on because of that sinfulness, we are once again invited to go to Good Friday to the cross and surrender ourselves to his love. And then we can become the protagonists of peace, which begins at the empty tomb. So all those keep us on the path. It's just like a good athlete in training. Those are the spiritual trainings we need that this surrender is not just a one-off and then, you know, I do it today, I feel great, I'm going to go out there and then tomorrow I'm back to, it's all about me. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. But, but, but I have to say this, and forgive me for saying this, but we as people of faith, as Christian women and men, we have to just get our act together. I mean, we can't just stay by, stand by and just allow all of this to, to literally fall apart in front of us. You know? Let me draw a parallel. In the ancient church, you know, I, we've talked about my pastoral exhortation and all the rest. Um, about how the, the recipe for the renewal of the church now is to do what the apostles did. And we again romanticize the brutality, the violence that was perpetrated against the early Christian martyrs. But some of that was indescribable. Can you imagine being tied to a post and someone cutting you open so that you could see your own inside organs until you died, or to be burned alive, or to be literally, literally pulled apart while you were still alive, or to be on a Roman candle Mm -hmm. in ancient Rome, or to be crucified and just left there to die, and usually it would take at least a day, a day and a half to die, until you drowned to death. I mean, I could go on and on, I don't want to make this a horror movie, but, but, but the Christians endured the violence, not by responding with violence. (laughs) They had already surrendered to Christ. They had a peace that was no, no act of violence could take away from them. And in this fidelity, in their true humility and in their joyful witness, they brought the entire Roman Empire to its knees. So what's going to bring our modern society to its knees? What's going to finally reveal the evil face of what's motivating so much in our midst? Is it not the same thing? I think, I think somebody would ask, okay, in ancient Rome, you know, during the time of the martyrs in Korea or Mexico, St. Mm-hmm. Isaac Jogues' times, there was mm-hmm. active physical um, 
you know, violence done against Christians, persecution done physically. And we don't have that in the same way here in the United States today, they would right. say. So, it, so it's one thing to say, well, you know, if I'm dragged out of my house and tortured, I would hope that it's I could... It's easier. Right. So it how actually, do we... Do? It's easier. Today? It's easier. In a, no, no. In no. those times. Easier in the sense of it was blatant. Right. Yes. It was clear. And most Christians faltered. And we remember the ones that didn't. Yeah. But the violence perpetrated against people of faith now is more subtle, more insidious. It's more emotional. It's yes. more ostracizing. Right? It's more of a violence that's abusive emotionally and personally. Not necessarily physically. Right. But then there is violence even physically in many parts of the world against Christians. But the point is, we now arrive at the point where the violence is almost random. <laughs> right? So from our perspective, if, if we want to draw a line against it, then this would, be my, this would be my formula to summarize. It starts with the basic stance we have before the Lord. And the scripture says, where shall, to where shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. So the, the fundamental question is, where are we going? His way or my way? Who stands in, at the center? The Lord or myself? From that will come the stance of a true humility. And all of the practices you have said will allow us to become real people of peace. And then from that stance, we will go into society in our rightful vocations. And we will both witness a different way and engage the world to recognize what we have that the world also can have, one person at a time. And then when there's enough people who are believing this and living this, then you will begin to see people say, I don't want to be caught in this mayhem. I want to be like them. Mm -hmm. I want to have what they have. It's exactly what happened in the Roman Empire. And we can start to construct an alternative. And that alternative is not exclusively Christian. It involves people even of goodwill who are willing to recognize that they need to surrender before God. And we can lead them to what allows us to do that, which is Jesus Christ. And that's how we can take back our civilization. It's hard, Excellency. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. But it's to our time. This is our challenge. This is our moment. Yeah. Because if not, I will be long dead. And there will be young children in our midst now who in their middle age will ask the question, why did they not do what they needed to do in that hour of greatest decision? Yeah. yeah. And that judgment will fall on us. Quite frankly, I have enough to answer for in my <laughs> life. I don't want to add to it. <laughs> yeah. You know, in, um, in the Fellowship of the Rings, there's a moment where um, Frodo and Gandalf are talking. And Frodo says, I wish this didn't happen in my time, in my life. And Gandalf says, yeah, everybody who lives through difficult times says that. But it's not up to you when you live. It's up to you to decide what you're going to do in that right. time. 
Right. Or as Abraham Lincoln reportedly said, it's not, it, what matters is not the days in your life, but the life you live in your days. Mm. Yeah, those are hard times. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so in a sense, this was quite a, quite a topic to break open, but I offer it simply so that people can reflect. Because the bottom line is, Steve, we have to, as people of faith, respond to what's evolving in our midst. We cannot just turn away. Because all of society is resting on someone or something coming into its midst to say there is a better way. And the bottom line is, we know who that is. It's Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amen. Okay. So, uh, one more break, Excellency. Um, let everybody catch their breath. <laughs> and uh, um, we'll be back with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Um, Excellency, uh, here's, here's the question that came in this week from a listener. It says, Excellency, I have children in Catholic schools and I would love to see more involvement from priests and nuns. How wonderful it would be for our children to see priests and nuns on a regular basis. Can we make this happen? Well, I think we're united in the desire to make it. It really is a question of personnel. Um, I absolutely agree. The presence of sisters and, and priests and even deacons in, in our schools can be transformative to a young person. That is why we have chaplains in all our high schools. Um, we simply don't have the priest personnel to have chaplains in all of our elementary schools. If we did, I would certainly do it. I rely on the good work of our priests who are in parishes to make themselves available, and they do, for the celebration of mass, the celebration of confession, and, really, and special events. But I, I know what the question is implying, is that a regular presence. And my only response to that is we have to pray for more vocations. Right? Young women to answer the call to religious life, young men to answer the call to religious life and priesthood and diaconate, because you are absolutely correct. It would be a great blessing to have priests and religious involved. And to the extent that they do it now, I'm grateful. But to the extent that we need more, we need to pray for those vocations to come forward. Amen. All right. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, that was a heavy show this week. <laughs> we had a lighter show last week, so... Yes. Yeah, and it all together becomes like medium. When you <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Average is out. <laughs> but uh, before we go, uh, would you please give us your blessing? Sure. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, your servant Francis of Assisi asks that we become instruments of your peace. May your Holy Spirit guide us in big and small ways to surrender our lives to you First, to find that peace in our hearts and to live in our world as instruments of peace for the sake of those whom we love, for all your children, 
and for the greater glory of the kingdom. And may that same spirit bless us. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, Amen. Steve, enjoy the week. See you next week. Thanks, Excellency. Okay, ciao.